This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 29, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Many of the attendees of various protests to end gun violence spelled out a number of policy proposals. Trevor Burris, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, describes what those policy proposals might mean in terms of reduction of the number of deaths by firearm. It seems like every time we have one of these horrible tragedies where uh, a lot of people are killed in one place at one time, uh, most typically by one person with a, a firearm, the immediate response is very emotive. It's not, it's not particularly substantive. Uh, but, you know, I was in D.C. sort of milling around when this uh, march was going on, and there were some policy proposals actually put out there. There were uh, universal background checks, uh, a ban on certain, uh, uh, let's see, uh, additives or things you would attach to guns to make them more powerful and that sort of thing. So, so you've sort of looked at, well, what if we wanted to reduce death by firearm by half and evaluated a lot of these proposals uh, based on that. So what uh, what are your just, just general thoughts on, on these marches and the substantive policy content? I, I, I don't know. I really have a problem with the marches. A lot of the people on the right wing and, of course, Fox News have been very much laying into them in a variety of ways. And I've it was called, called using astroturfing and saying they've been coached and prepared. Well, of course they have. Uh, and that's how democracy works. Uh, if you're going to support the NRA to do political action and to do the same thing, then uh, you should, in principle, support uh, these organizations talking about the other side. Demo that's how democracy works. People don't spontaneously get up out of their chairs and go march on Washington, D.C. It takes money and it takes uh, investment. So, And I've been impressed with the kids. Uh, I actually did a panel uh, a couple days ago with one of the Parkland students who was very articulate and they have focused their their demands so to speak on a, on a few things some of which we've we've heard before and are, are not they're not calling for the repeal of the second amendment like say justice John Paul Stevens did in the New York Times they're asking for uh, alterations in in the gun laws and from my perspective, I, I'm always willing to engage in a debate about this and a discussion for how we can save lives. And that means we should look at the numbers and say, let's 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 really just look at policies. And if you know, they're always like the public health angle. Let's talk to the scientists. Let's talk to the experts, and let's figure out a way to reduce gun deaths. And so I took it. I said, that's a good idea. Let's uh, let's just say we're going to try and reduce gun deaths by fifty percent in the next ten years. We'll, we'll, it'll be like John F. Kennedy going to the moon. And if we were to do that and we were to ask all the experts and scientists and even, I would say, honest people at Every Town for Gun Safety, the Bloomberg group, they would say, well, we really shouldn't be looking at assault weapons and mass shootings in general. We should be focusing on two things, inner city violence, uh, particularly among black youth, which is about Seven to eight thousand of the homicides. Seven eight thousand homicides are committed with with handguns, and then two thirds of those are black youth, associated with uh, drug war and inner city conditions generally, and then male suicide. And it's something I I think that the gun rights crowd does not discuss enough. The suicides are two thirds of all gun deaths, so there are about thirty four thousand. It, it went up a little bit in total, uh, thirty five thirty six thousand gun deaths per year. Two thirds of those are suicides. So and let's uh, let's let's boil that down a little bit. Yeah, when we when we talk about uh, gun deaths, 
events like marches, uh, town halls, and things that are, are meant to promote a discussion about these things shortly after these events occur, it, it's almost entirely focused on what happens, uh, you know, broadly in suburbia. It's yes. not about what happens in South Chicago on any given weekend, mm -hmm. and, and it's not, and it's not what happens to, you know, a severely depressed, uh, you know, middle-aged man. Mm -hmm. It it reminds me a little bit of uh, it, I remember in the '90s there was a spate of kidnappings that were very high profile. Elizabeth Smart, for example, and, and they were all young, cute white girls, and there was people complaining. It was like, wow, if a young, cute white girl gets kidnapped, everyone freaks out. But of course, looking at the inner city and what happens in in p communities of color, it's relatively ignored. And I don't want to. Well, jump on them because I understand the nature of political action. They, a lot of the Parkland students have been saying, you know, we're not the core of the problem. The core of the problem is the inner city. But, but in political action means you have to take events that are in the news and try and build something off of them because people don't really pay that much attention. But if you were a very social justice minded person, you'd say, wow, uh, why are these privileged white kids in really, really safe schools, actually safer than they were in the 1990s, that occasionally these horrible things happen, uh, calling for gun control to about the type of guns, assault weapons, that purportedly affect them, when what's really happening in the inner city is pistols are being used to kill about 4,500 young black men every year associated with different uh, inner city conditions. So it, it's a valid point about how we could focus, and, and then, if, as you pointed out middle-aged men uh, it's an astounding number 37 percent of all gun deaths are suicides by men between the ages of 25 and 64 85 percent of the gun deaths the uh, suicides are men women rarely commit suicide by gun um and uh, I, I there was one comment i heard from a female friend of mine who said well yeah i wouldn't want anyone to have to clean it up i mean maybe that's why but but uh women have different sensibilities so men do it and middle-aged men do it in particular and they tend to do it with pistols and they and it's often an act of sort of spontane spontaneity and if they could have taken it back they would as a lot of suicide victims do so we don't talk enough about that especially in the gun rights world about how do we get gun suicides down and how do we work on the inner city and my goal is always to talk about things other than guns i'll talk about guns uh, but i personally don't believe that guns are a major contributing factor to crime in the sense that people walking down the street wondering what to do you give them a gun and they go oh i think i'll commit a crime now i do think guns are a pretty big contributing factor to suicide in the sense that if in the presence of a gun after a middle-aged man has been drinking or something and he's, he's pretty depressed he might just decide to do something if the gun were not there he would be alive and that's the kind of conversation we need to have we can talk about assault weapons and school shootings and stuff but if we're going to treat this as a public health thing which they like to do i don't really like to use those words then treat focusing on assault weapons and mass shootings is it's not a waste of time but it's 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 not the way we do policy lives matter deaths matter we they're all important but policy is course we look at which things save the most lives so to begin with you sort of assigned letter grades to the proposals that have been uh, floating around there and i think i think it's worth noting that a lot of these a lot of the proposals that have been floating around are cognizant of the fact that 
millions of Americans own guns. Millions of Americans believe that the Second Amendment uh, is, confers an individual right and that it is a perfectly legitimate part of the Bill of Rights in the United States. It seems that these are, these are uh, in many ways, proposals that get at sort of the edges of uh, the problem. Yeah, and, and so so what are the what are the proposals? So uh, some of them are uh, focused on mental health. So we have, well, you mentioned one at the outset. We have uh, you know banning things that increase the rate of fire. That that's the bump stock. Now that's been going back and forth, but uh, that is fairly ceremonial. Before the Las Vegas shooting, very few people who are not gun enthusiasts had heard of the the novelty item of the bump stock. Um, so if we're just going to grade it, the way I grade it is sort of to say, if I think that this would save a, a few lives, let's say zero to 10, uh, then I give it a D. If I think it would save you know a few dozen, I give it a C. And if we get up into the hundreds, possibly, I'll give it a, a B or above. So the bump stocks, I mean, that's pretty much going to get an F um, in the sense that, that the Las Vegas shooting was a black swan event, firing from on high, everything about that was horrendous. And so that, I mean, they can do it. It's not, it's not going to be a big deal our concerns about throwing people in jail for having lawfully uh, law, law abiding people in jail for having firearms that are suddenly illegal it's not terribly present in bump stocks or a ton of out there but we could we have things like universal background checks which those have to do with the devil and the details but everything that I'm grading in in this is will it get how much will it get into the problem of inner city violence and suicides? So let's look at universal background checks in that. People seem to rarely buy a gun for suicide. It does happen, uh, but they're likely to pass a background check. Uh, and a universal one means that it would be a private transfer. So if I went to you, Caleb, and said, hey, uh, can I have your gun for a week? That would presumably be we'd have to run a background check on me. That's probably not going to put a dent in the suicide numbers. In terms of Guns coming into inner cities, uh, especially with the drug war involved, illicit conduits for drugs create illicit conduits for for guns, and most of those, about eighty percent or plus, are acquired uh, not through stores or not through gun shows or straw or sometimes straw purchases multiple times back, but just the family or friends or theft. So, it's probably not going to do very much in that anyway. Other ones they talk about is raising the age from purchasing a rifle. So currently under federal law, you can purchase a rifle at eighteen, but you can't purchase handgun handgun until twenty one. So raising that up, well, what would that actually do? And all, we can just imagine they're perfectly enforced too. Um, well, rifles kill about three to five hundred people a year, um, which is uh, compared to about seven thousand people to eight thousand from handguns. Uh, assault weapons would be a subset of rifles. So three to five hundred people a year. Uh, now that's not mostly being done by people eighteen to twenty-one. Uh, and if you raise that age, it doesn't mean that they can't get them anymore. And it also doesn't mean that they won't substitute a pistol. And that's the big question because the big thing in the gun debate that drives me nuts is people don't look at substitution effects. I always ask them to think of a magic button. If you found out that rifles killed three to 500 people a year and then I give you a button and you can make all rifles disappear, does that mean that you will save three to 500 people next year? Absolutely not. People can substitute other guns in what they're doing. And so those are the kind of questions. So I would say a few dozen could possibly be saved by that, maybe if just a few. So that gets a pretty low grade. None of these are insane, but my point is they're not doing much. And and if we're going to have a rally, we're going to have democratic action, uh, and we want to get something done, we have to focus on the inner city. And we have to focus on suicides. So that's, that's, that's it. Even if we eliminated all gun homicides, we still couldn't lower the gun death rate by 50% because two-thirds are suicides. And so it's a, it's a problem. And it, it gets frustrating when they're not talking about the things that could really make a difference. 
So the other, the flip side of this is that um, when well-intentioned people attempt to uh, address the issue of gun violence, and I'm not 100% on the idea that suicide is gun violence, it's certainly a death by firearm uh, in, in many, in most cases or many cases, but, um, the, the natural consequence of creating these more stringent, uh, pieces of law enforcement, you know, longer prison terms, mandatory minimums for crimes that are involving a gun, those are going to disproportionately affect, uh, groups that are likely to be victimized by gun violence. Precisely. It's, um, it's it we we like to do a lot of things where we uh, make some violation of federal law legal and a lot of people don't really understand uh, especially on the gun control side how many laws there are regulating guns i always make the analogy that the anti-immigrant crowd and the anti-gun crowd are very similar in their arguments they focus on specific sort of events and try to like uh, either a massacre or a terrorist attack and try and ban that visa or ban that gun they also tend to believe that there are no laws regulating the uh, either immigrants coming to the United States or acquiring firearms. Well, firearms are the most regulated consumer product in the United States. A lot of people don't even understand that you, if you have ever been convicted of a misdemeanor domestic violence, uh, then you can't even purchase a firearm for the rest of your life under federal law, for example. But they always try and add these things. We're going to put 10 years if you transfer a gun without running a background check or something like that. Uh, And that's when we have these universal background check bills. That's what's very concerning to me because it's supposed to take up any transfer. And like I said, if if I said, hey, Caleb, can I borrow your gun to the go to the gun range if and that you know well you know well that i don't own a gun yes and neither, neither do i <laughs> <laughs> um but the uh but you're supposed to you know that would you have to run background check on me and then i'd bring it back and i'd have to when i return it to you under some laws i'd have to run a background check to give you your own gun back under the letter of the law and people always say well I mean, they're not really going to enforce that way, you know, 10 years in prison if you don't do this. Well, they do. And and then it's not you and me are going to be caught by that. It's going to be mostly people in the inner city, people of color who are getting caught by gun laws. And there are numerous studies that they're the ones who get wrapped up in this for things that are, you know, seemingly good intentioned. You know, you can't transfer a gun without running a background check without 10 years in prison. I remember one case that I discovered where um, a uh, African-American uh, bartender who was a felon, and he knew he was a felon. Sometimes they don't. People don't even know they're felons, by the way. Uh, but uh, under under prohibited pe- people under uh, federal gun law, he worked at a bar, and he went home uh, three blocks away to his his uh, apartment where his girlfriend was there, who went a little crazy and held a gun to his head. He disarmed her took the gun, walked three blocks back to the bar where a lot of police officers uh, would congregate, and he gave them the gun. And he was prosecuted for being a felon in possession of the gun for the three blocks that he walked between his apartment and the bar. And so that that's a lot of times how gun laws are enforced. And those are the people who get wrapped up in those gun laws are people of color. So this is not usually appreciated when it comes to the gun control crowd. It's actually probably the biggest thing that they don't understand. I'm always trying, because they don't usually own guns. So I'm trying to anal- say make an analogy is like, okay, let's say a thing that you own, let's just say your, I don't know, your, uh, your frying pan uh, just suddenly became uh, illegal. And all these things that you could do with your frying pan became illegal with very, very stiff penalties. Um, you couldn't lend it out or something like that. You know, trying to get to understand that that you know something could be dangerous, but most people on it are not dangerous. And now you just made them into felons. And then they say, well, they're not going to do that. They do do that. So 
it it's strange and because and because you focused here on um suicides particularly male suicides and uh violence in inner cities that's particularly uh tied to the drug war but it it seems both of those in particular because the and even though there are so many deaths uh that are associated with those two categories they just sort of fade into the background and they they are if there were no mass shootings of you know of individual uh, collections of people who were killed by someone with a, a rifle or several guns, uh, this wouldn't be uh, a notable. Mm. And, and that it's, it's troubling and, and striking that that's the case. Exactly. And uh, it, it's it, part of it is because gun violence has gone down a lot, especially in, in white communities. Uh, gentrification has been a big factor in that. Uh, crime used to be one of the biggest things that people voted on, which is why we passed so many punitive crime and gun laws uh, from the 60s through the, the early 90s, because people you know, know when they're f- feeling in fear of their lives and know if they've been you know, mugged recently in, in New York between, say, 1970 and 1990. If you lived there for more than a few years and hadn't been mugged, you were an aberration. Uh, you had to you know, go watch Taxi Driver to get an idea of what New York was like uh, during that period. So these cities are now incredibly safe compared to what they used to be. Big cities, Chicago is an outlier, Baltimore is an outlier, but in general, they're incredibly safe. And white people, I think, experience less crime in, in front of their face than they than they did before. But of course, in the inner cities, we still have problems. Now, that has also gotten better, uh, just like all these things where, um, as I mentioned, I was on a panel with this Parkland student and, and one of the, the moderator was saying, you know, have we become accustomed to gun violence, this, this constant churning of gun violence, these horrible things, you know, are we just, you know, immune to it anymore? And I say, well, look, the most important thing here is that gun violence has been dropping precipitously. We had an uptick the last two years. A lot of it centered in Chicago and places in inner city violence, again, going back to the point. But gun, it's getting safer. Most people think it's not getting safer. Or about 50% of Americans think that it's more dangerous now than it was before. So that could also be driving this policy. As you say, they, they see the mass shootings. And so they say, oh, this must be a huge problem but what they don't see is the is the inner city and that's why the thing that drives me nuts in this is is I kind of want to ask them sometimes who's obsessed with guns because as a gun rights person but not even a gun owner and the NRA and people they're supposed to be the ones obsessed with guns but why is it that every policy about crime and violence every issue of crime and violence turns into a discussion by guns and marches on the capitol why can't you think about other things other than guns right if we're talking about gun deaths you know why are why are middle-aged men committing suicide at such high rates we talk about veterans services and other things to try and abate suicide the drug war, ending the drug war would do more than any gun policy on the planet uh, to uh, alleviate violence in the inner city in a variety of ways. But we, we just have to keep talking about guns. And I just want to ask them sometimes, why are you so obsessed with guns? And can't we have a bigger and broader conversation about the sources of violence and the sources of gun deaths as opposed to the tools that, that are used to commit those crimes? Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 